Um, you can see here, pre-login, anybody, even without an account, can see all the types of music and all the all the genres and all the albums that they would have access to. So actually what Spotify has done, that they've, they've disrupted the experience. So you can see value even before you've paid or even created an account. So this pre-login experience on the web was also very groundbreaking. Hello and welcome to another exciting conversation on the VWO podcast. In this episode, David Isaac Matthews discusses the need for marketing, product, and sales teams to collaborate to reduce churn. David also shares some interesting case studies to explain how you can keep users engaged. But wait, this episode isn't like your regular podcast. It's a unique webinar turned video podcast delivered to you in the form of an exclusive masterclass. So don't forget to hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest episodes. That said, let's join David and learn more about the role of customer engagement in business growth. So even as far back as 1958, disruptors appeared on the scene, right? In this case, Braun, designed by uh, a real icon, Dieter Rams, launched the T3 Pocket Radio in 1958. And you can see this became an iconic product. It had a very emotional design. It was very intuitive to use. So in terms of the customer experience, this was mainly a product. There was no digital component, but the experience of using this product was intuitive and they also leveraged the technology advantage. So in this case, they used micro transistors compared to large um, cathode tubes to shrink this into a portable and battery powered device in a time in 1958, if you can imagine what things like. And this, in terms of retention and stickiness and long lasting value that we're all trying to create from, from all the business teams. Uh, one sign of how lasting this strategy and how effective this was, was that if you can see the similarities, uh, Steve Jobs went on record saying how deeply he was inspired by the T3 in the design of the Apple iPod and how there was a central user interface and how there was a, a central value element. And the whole point of having portable music was very inspiring. But let's put this into the context of 1958. This was what the competition looked like. And this is the Philips radio. And this is what the T3 was actually going up and competing again. It used tubes, so it was large, it was very heavy, it was actually quite fragile as well, a lot of glass inside. And you can see that's electric powered. You can see the wire in the background, and this is what it looked like. So if you can imagine how disruptive it was to really think and be customer-centric and understand that the customer perhaps wanted something beautiful, but also unobtrusive to do his job of enjoying music and uh, at good quality, that was what the product strategy was around. And if we move on into other types of product strategy here, also there was a technology edge because the Eames family, they, they figured out how to form wood like this. And they were trying to solve the job of having economical, but yet designer quality items in the home at a relatively affordable price. And they created this technique that allowed them to mass produce this chair, which is still available and for sale in exactly this uh, look and design today, there are some additional colors from this original launch color, but it is also iconic. And that's the staying power of having totally understand, understood the job to be done, having product and marketing teams and sales teams and business teams all working together to make sure that the company has the right customer experience and the right fit with the customer's job to be done. And then we, we move forward a little bit further around the 1980s and then how did, we, how did some people innovate around the business model, right? So in, in, the, in the era where 
individual albums. So the only thing you could buy uh, occasionally, there were also singles of individual songs. This disruptive idea to combine the entire record collection of Virgin Records and EMI Records to create an industry-first partnership and create compilation series that was so effective, it was such a disruptive and, and popular, and it was so bright that that lasted 110 volumes, you know, um, and decades. And each one of those volumes went multi-platinum, not gold, not silver, multi-platinum, just seven 7x platinum for, for some of the year's records, right? So this was actually creating an ecosystem edge. You know, that's a word that we use today, but in, in those days, we didn't have that terminology. But now if you look backwards, you understand the achievement that they had and the states of value for a user to only have to pick up one product and then enjoy and listen to all the music that he enjoys. It's, it's very groundbreaking because in those days, you're really competing against cassette tapes, which had just a few um, uh, songs and, and it was a very disruptive business model. And if we look at it from a business design perspective, you can actually see that in getting the job of listening to music that I like done, um, records only allowed you to store and listen and cassette tapes. They allowed you to store a little bit more than records, but they allowed you to finally listen on the go. And that was very disruptive. And CDs increased the quality and also on the go. But it took a long time before you had full control of your music uh, with MP3s being able to make playlists on the grow and, and, and really fine-tune what you were listening to instead of listening in order of the songs on the record. But that's when streaming services came in and figured out the entire job, including finding the music and buying the music, as well as sharing the music for that virality. And that is how, you know, Spotify absorbed all the revenue of all the sub-industries that helped you find music and buy music and and, and make things and edit and share music and all the hard disks that you had to buy in those days. That is what led this, you know, groundbreaking market capitalization to solve this very straightforward job to be done. Okay. I hope everybody is uh, following so far. So Kay Christensen is another icon in terms of understanding disruption. He coined the phrase disruptive innovation with um, a fellow called Tony Alwick, and he talked about how Strategically, this was actually about gaining market share. And that was the purpose. How do you create enough value at a lower price band market share, but still delivering the job to be done? So much better than an MVP, but a, a more accessible way of getting the job to be done, literally reinventing businesses. So what Spotify has done since then is that they've also, again, augmented the experience. So in terms of creating immediate value and letting somebody see the reason that they should adopt this, you know, very different way of doing things. Um, you can see here, pre-login, anybody, even without an account, can see all the types of music and all the, all the genres and all the albums that they would have access to. So actually what Spotify has done, they've disrupted the experience. So you can see value even before you've paid or even created an account. So this pre-login experience on the web was also very groundbreaking. I'll give you a lot more examples. And what I've touched on here is that in the journey of growth, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to acquire users, you're trying to engage and retain them, and then you're trying to monetize them. And the flywheel of getting them from monetization to increasing cross-sell, upsell, longer-term multi-year retention, this flywheel is an effect that we have to prioritize the creation of, and it's not an accident, it's not easy to engineer. And even with our full effort, it is a very competitive thing to do. But this is what we want to do is 
to bring this flywheel and make sure that there's no churn or drop off at any point. And we'll go into much more detail around this to get to monetization. But post monetization, what else can we do to retain and keep the customer sticky so that we can scale? And in terms of customer experience, and let's tie everything from product to marketing, to business strategy, to customer experience as a part, there are three essential steps in customer experience, especially when it comes to onboarding. And the first step is getting a customer to perceive value. And this is where branding and marketing and product marketing and advertising, our entire job in this part of the industry is to get somebody to see that there is value to consider moving from let's say title from Spotify, which is your existing uh, product or trying a different product. You have to perceive value before you even give it consideration. And then once that consideration set, you're competing again for them to, to take the next step. And then there's a moment of experiencing value. So the, it's, a, it's a later step. You can see that Spotify with the pre-login experience allows people to perceive value much more deeply and much more quickly and experience value much more deeply and much more quickly with the, with the freemium, you know, login and immediately start listening on any platform from desktop to phone. They've shortened the time it takes for users to go through the flywheel and they've increased the chances that users progress from one part of the flywheel to the next. And this is the holy grail. This is the moment of adopting the value, meaning that it's long-term adoption and habit formation and creating a long-lasting, sticky customer and a revenue stream. And from there, adding more value to our platform to be even more sticky and more destructive and creating this flywheel again. So this is from the customer experience. And that is a customer experience model. But in business, in customer journeys, in marketing, we talk about perhaps this, um, this, flat, this uh, funnel. And it's very actually hard to connect full funnel marketing to the growth flywheel or customer experience because the journeys and everybody, the teams all use different models. But from awareness, acquisition, activation, revenue, referral, and retention, all these things can be combined, right? And the teams all should align to make sure that all these steps are effective and the teams are actually meshing very well together. And there is a stage when a team of five or 15 people in a startup go into larger and larger teams and they start to silo and they start to have different roadmaps. So operationally, it's something that we have to dovetail again. And activation here, at this step here, because you're interacting with all of your acquired users, it's a great point to improve conversion here and, and improve the performance of all the other phases. Because as people, as you see the funnel uh, shrinks, that's um, representative of the number of customers knowing about your brand, taking a chance on it, trying and getting some value out of it, seeing an aha before monetizing and hopefully retaining. You can see the numbers drop off. So at this acquisition phase, that's an amazing chance for all the teams to get together and making sure that we can get them from our landing page, for example, into taking initial steps like registering or making that download of the, of the product or, you know, inputting information so they can see how they get um, more value out of the, the product, for example, a project management tool, an activation moment, even before they, they pay as typically freemium. So that's higher in the funnel. So top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. The first impression, all these stages are that moment of value perception. So how quickly can we get them to activate as soon as they're aware or, or acquired? And we'll show you a fantastic example from Canva. And we've already shown you a little bit of, of Spotify's example there. But resurrection is when inside the funnel, maybe they've activated, maybe they're paid, maybe they're freemium. 
some customers go dormant after the activation point. So one of the strategies that all the different teams of marketing, product, and business and, and sales can work together to resurrect these uh, users. So connecting those things, right? This is our vision for the future of Southeast Asian growth or APAC growth. It's how do marketing and product integrate a long customer experience to drive the key metrics that we care about of acquisition, engagement, resurrection, and monetization. So of course, acquisition is quite easy to map and engagement is quite easy to map to activation. And these are all very important metrics, especially at younger teams. But as the team matures, as you go from perhaps pre-seed or seed to A and B, or if you're going to market as a, as a corporate venture or as a new product from an enterprise, key to scaling is ensuring that the churn between these stages is clear. We try to understand the reason for the clear and we use product and marketing strategies to keep people retained and to increase conversion between the steps. And this is where, you know, experimentation and, and what VWO does and data analytics and all the other tools that we use in marketing and product have to come together to give us a single customer view to understand what the customer is doing and understand how we can improve their experience so they become a user who had adopted value long-term, right? And that's the key to scaling because otherwise all the effort and all the time and resources that have been expended here, if those customers don't retain the sufficiency, then it's impossible to scale because we're losing customers as fast as we're acquiring them. That's a very expensive proposition. So it's not just marketing, right? The relationship between these three teams, between customer experience and marketing and retention and revenue, right? This can even go into the product experience and helping people experience value better. And Ring is a video doorbell company, very, very disruptive, um, big valuation acquired by top tiers. And they even go as far as that even after you purchase the product, they are interacting with you to maximize your customer experience. In this case, you get an EDM that you screen capture showing that the battery is low before it you know, goes completely flat. And not only tells you and gives you this trigger to make sure that, you know, you know, you charge it in time so you can fully enjoy your purchase, right? Because ring, you know, it's about safety, it's about seeing who's doing a delivery, it's about unlocking your door, it's about recording people in front of, or in front of your door. There's a lot of elements to that. It's about, you know, letting in people without a key, making sure they can have full enjoyment, right? So you, you warn people in time, but they also go even further, right? So forget about that instruction manual. They give you support on how to remove the doorbell and take out the battery and charge the battery and swap the battery and so on and so forth at the right time, the right place, right? So it's the right message at the right time to the right customer. So it's not generalized. It's very customized. It really improves the experience of enjoying this product and it removes friction from that process. So what we say is that growing revenue, right? You have to go deeper into the flywheel than only acquisition. So after the person's been acquired or even monetized, you know, you have to work very hard on retention and making sure that with good retention, you understand what works. And so you can make gains in all your other KPIs. So on to chapter two, real-time data for strategy and revenue advantage. So the data here with the mindset, it's not just for reporting, is how is it actionable and how does it empower our teams to do, yes, to do better marketing, to do better personalization, but we're really going to look at it from how it improves our strategy, go to market how we design product roadmaps and how it improves revenue. So really as a revenue advantage. And this is another thing that we think about 
that there's so much qualification in targeting that unless you're studying retention, it's hard to meaningfully optimize who you're acquiring, how valuable that segment is, what is their propensity, how likely are they to convert from freemium to paid? Because you might be good at acquiring freemium users, but if you're not getting the data, you might understand that there are sub-segments within your acquisition strategy that are converting to paid far more effectively, and that might be core to the company's strategy, a very believable uh, aspect to the company's strategy. And so we have to really understand best fit customers as well in, in retention, and it can guide many other things. And that's why we talk about real-time marketing, because it's just, it's just what empowers us. Because when you have a business outcome as a lagging indicator, you need to rely on real-time marketing to give you a less lagging indicator and hopefully even leading indicators that you can work on and figure out whether there was a gap in your strategy. Were you targeting the wrong customer? Was it the wrong product marketing message, the wrong channel? Was it that? Or was it in the execution? You know, and we have to try different channels with different routes and paths to market. We can only do that with closed data loops, right? So that making sure that we are measuring the impact of all these things as hypotheses so we can understand correlation and hopefully even causation. And so to improve customer experience reliably, it is this voice of the customer that we are trying to capture, this response to our products, not just through surveys, but through real-time customer behavior and observation of that customer behavior. And once we capture those insights, then we have the tools that allow us rapid implementation and testing. That's where marketing can help align product and sales teams to improve marketing's effectiveness, to improve revenue, but also to improve product itself. And we want to create value for that customer because we can't, you know, uh, convince them in any other way, but to show them the value of our product in the context of competitive landscape, the context of their unmet need, their job to be done. And that is what creates that business impact. So the funnel has to be the source of truth because it is how, that is how we measure the customer's behavior and response to the value we're providing. And we need to rewire the operating model to be able to enable that. So we get the data and the insight and through tests and experiments, we implement and learn there. And under data, we have to talk more deeply about the segment and their needs, identifying frictions and churn points and understanding the best channel. And then with the insights, we understand is this a profit priority or a growth priority? And that depends on business cycles as well of the company and the industry. Right now with an imminent recession, we might not be focusing on growth and you know, DAUs or MAUs or maybe focusing on more profitable customers. So that might change both the marketing and the product and the sales strategy. And then we have to understand the insights, how they, how they give us you know, best next steps to improve our value proposition, our VP and the focus of our journey in the roadmap prioritization and how we do the onboarding. And then we do the research, we iterate, we validate the steps in our future roadmap. And then you have a more integrated product and marketing and sales team, and then you can build it and then you can go to market with it. So this implementation is a joint effort between marketing and product and some interesting things to think about, right? Off-platform resurrection. So it's not just pop-ups within your app. How does marketing go deep into the customer's you know, experience on and off platform to resurrect and engage and retain and then just like ring, right? They're going far off the platform of this physical product. And then in terms of product, we'll talk about features and nudges and, and your copywriting and the things things happen. 
And of course, this is the flywheel of the learning, the iteration that lets us become data-driven marketers and products, teams, and, and, and businesses. So we call these the digital operating model, right? Where everybody comes together with real-time technology and a single customer view to make operational enhancements and then, you know, sequence the most important things to do, scaling that revenue and improving that customer experience at, at, a, at a lower cost, and then solving churn points with the teams working together and then making sure that there are no more silos and that everything proceeds with a rapid data insight test implement process. And the companies that don't have that advantage will, will be suffering, right? They'll be less competitive because they're learning less quickly. And then we look at how mature our digital operating model is, right? So we, of course, aspire to be the best, but if we're good, you know, there's already some automation and, and deep data, but the data's yet to be prescriptive and it doesn't tell us exactly where to optimize. Is it a conversion? Is it a strategy problem? Or is it a, it is an execution problem? As we get better, that automation and that data are regularly bringing the design impact to the parametrics that we want. And then the ideal scenario, there's so many experiments going on, continual improvement and the data democratization, that data is available to every team to help them understand what they should be doing in what sequence and with how much emphasis, that really brings significant revenue impact and speeds of revenue impact. And from Capgemini, we find that 79% of leading marketers say they can deliver content based on real-time understanding, which is amazing because the difference between the leading marketers who say that at almost 80% and less than 40% of other marketers. So is this correlation or causation? Regardless, that is something that we need to learn from, can we produce content based on real-time understanding of customers? And so when we look at higher in the funnel and the, you know, can we look at the the flywheel, where's the churn happening, right? Marketing can apply itself, right? To maintain sufficient velocity of these marketing qualified leads that, and help to get them to convert because we can start to do resurrection with the, the stage of the flywheel at engagement, right? So where can we apply this kind of resurrection at the awareness level, the acquisition level, activation level? And then as you go deeper, can we figure out deep engagement. And this is what we want to do. We want that conversion. And so it depends on your product, right? So if we look at dormant users, you, know, you must be able to identify them that they have gone dormant. Your product can't be an infrequent product. So it can't be a once a year subscription, but can you understand their behavior throughout the year in between monetization moments or upsell moments? And understand, you know, is it post-revenue they've gone dormant, right? And then you can start to hypothesize, is it because they haven't gotten the value they thought, you know, that they were expecting? Or in some cases, you know, they've gotten a new phone and they haven't reinstalled your app and they just suddenly have just stopped using your, your features. Or is it pre-revenue dormant, right? Where they registered but forgotten about the product and give some examples of that. And that's often because they haven't gotten to the moment of value experienced and definitely not the moment of value adopted. So they don't have behavioral internal triggers telling them, hey, go back to the product. So we have to help them um, get to those important moments in their journey. And then, of course, we focus on improving activation and engagement with that habit formation. And those are the internal triggers. But it's important to think about this in a very strategic way. You can't start with resurrection on cohorts who've never hit the moment of value experienced because you don't know if there's a good product market fit. So this is a, a, a post-product market fit conversation. If not, you have to be focusing on awareness and, and acquisition and your go-to-market strategy before you start to think about resurrection. 
And so have a look at what Monday.com does, right? So it's a fantastically powerful, but a complex product. So there are frictions to setting up a project management tool, especially for larger teams, right? So what we want to do is making sure that there are triggers to keep the users on the path so that they can get to the point where they experience the value, right? Not just perceive value, but actually get something out of it. In this case, if you register and you don't complete, right? They send you a urgency trigger, right? And they say, hey, you know, there are some things that you need. And then you get the 14, 14 day free trial. That's an urgency trigger, but they also want you to input enough data and get, get to work on the product so that you can experience that value so that one day you can adopt it and become a long-term customer. And then the lock-in is very substantial for a project management tool. And so we also know that from the most advanced companies and the most successful companies, their growth teams do use the funnel to target scale green. And that's very important, right? So they figure out retention from acquisition. And then we do something called retention analysis, which allows us to better execute our strategy. And then we identify churn points and we use the, the cross-functional teams and we identify drop-offs and frictions. And most importantly is to look at them per segment and per product, because you can be thrown off by averages very, very significantly. And if you have three tiers of product, if you have a freemium product, if you have completely different products, all the data that you're collecting as an average can be completely thrown out and skew any kind of meaningful improvement that you make or delay any kind of meaningful improvement that you get. And we want to improve our acquisition rate relative to our churn rate. So we, you know, you, you, there's a, a certain element of efficiency. So if if churn is moving faster than acquisition, if churn grows to too large a percentage of acquisition, growth rates are going to stall. And, and you won't have, you know, increasing like um, DAUs. Some companies get to 105, 110, 120%, right, retention rates. And that's because they're, they're growing at a positive rate. So we also look at market fit and business model fit, right? And this is the voice of the business, the voice of the customer, the voice of the business. This is what the business needs. So cohort-based analysis and analysis of monetization and prioritizing effort based on net value and your lifetime value of your segments per product. Again, because the return on investment is very, very important if you want to ensure that there's sufficient scale. And if you look at revenue as, as, as a, as a, in relation to acquisition, right? That's when the real-time data really helps you optimize. So when you do something, you get immediate notification, but you also get better quality data. And that's when we talked about the per segment, right? Customer lifetime value divided by cat, then you definitely want to scale paid acquisition because this becomes a positive ratio if you're getting um, a 1.5 or 3X or 6X CLTV to cat, then that's a very worthwhile time to start scaling up your paid acquisition strategies. But if you're not, right? If the CLTV per CAC a segment on a key channel isn't high enough, then there are other ways that you need to scale because if paid acquisition is not one of your two or three key growth mechanisms, then you have to build virality in as your key driver, right? So you look at spiral instead of paid acquisition. And some people may think, oh, well, that's the halfway house. It's not a very powerful mechanism. I want to talk to you about this private social network called Nextdoor. And I can't even call them an American company because they're in 11 countries now. And in 2020, their DAU grew 50% year on year. And they do entirely 
hyperlocal network effects, organic activation, referral focus, everything is a viral mechanism in the app and in the experience. And with this viral and organic strategy, they have achieved higher weekly engagement than YouTube and Spotify and Pinterest and Netflix. And that is no small. So that's a very exciting validation for virality in your, in your final investment experience. And then we sum up this part here by saying that strong customer experience is the culmination of maximizing utility, right? That value that they experience, design and value exchange. And that's how you achieve stickiness and scale. And we give a couple of examples here to make this really real, right? So looking at the journey, looking at the customer's job to be done and understanding how that creates retention. In this case, Canva, which is a Silicon Valley, you know, stratospheric um, success story, right? They very much like Spotify, pre-login, you can start to experience value. So you can start designing as soon as you land on their homepage in a single click, you can play Canva. Right? They show you all the ways that they make your work easier. They show you, you know, value propositions on the landing page, but they allow you to experience value on the landing page so that you know, there's investment and people experience it and, and genuinely feel that moment, that aha moment. And then you create a, a lasting customer. Right? You, you immediately go in and you even get onboarded effectively so they can ensure that you maximize the likelihood that you experience value with, you know, live and effective onboarding that happens within the program. And then if you look at additional ways of doing this, you look at increasing that flying wheel velocity, right? In this case, sometimes customers get lost in the experience. And if, if, if you have that data, then you do a LinkedIn, they identify that there's a gap, right? So there's a point when in, in LinkedIn, you know, doing such a good job of moving from a B to C company into a B2B company, monetizing B2B so effectively and realizing that they could reduce the one or two or three days gap of somebody not realizing that their, their campaign has come to an end. You know, they, they trigger you, look at the results, then the campaign, and they, they put in a lot of triggers to make sure that after you've adopted this value, you become long-term adoption and not just single-time adoption. And they speed up the flywheel, increasing that flywheel velocity. In this case, it's a repurchase. It's almost like an upsell. And what we need to do is also analyze this from the customer psychology, this behavioral lens. In this case, this is the, the Hulk model by Nira Yao. And, you know, they've done lots of studies and um, Sequoia flies nearly out around the world to help the Sequoia startups ensure that long-term adoption, long-term habit formation, he calls it, happens and they, they, they use a mix of triggers of internal and external triggers, due actions, this is the activation step, variable rewards, this is how you, you portray and create value for the, for, the, for the user, and then the investment, how much time they spend in interacting with the app in some cases if it's gamification there's a lot of chunk cost that you, you highlight if it's project management tool the investment becomes very very sticky because all your to-do lists and all the teams have been onboarded and then they get to the point where if habit formation is truly created you don't need external triggers as much and you've gone to internal triggers and this is how it links right because this becomes long-term value adoption can reinforce the cycle to improve adoption. And you can also, in the meantime, use more external triggers and off-platform nudges. And this is how marketing can actually improve the experience, just like how Ring 
did it. And I'll show you some more examples from Apple. And Apple, to create that habit formation, to create that long-term adoption, after you've bought a phone, they ensure that you maximize the experience. You, you, they help you maximize the value you get out of your phone by sending you this personalized EDM because they know you've purchased the phone. They, they know that you know, there are multiple features, especially with the new releases, and they help you with an EDM that goes through the latest features, so in this case, cinematic mode, which is like, you know, uh, that beautiful blurred background effect, the very sharp central focus in video, which requires a very high processing power to achieve. And so they've unlocked that feature in their latest phone. And they want to make sure you know about it and how to use it. And they talk to you, you know, with more detail. And then as you go on through the EDM, they go through additional sub features, maybe less halo features, but they make sure that they bring them to the fore so that you can know that you can really enjoy um, new features in your phone that you didn't have before, for example, uh, from any photo, being able to extract text with just uh, highlighting and click. And in addition, the, the personalization is so well executed here. They target valuable dormant segments have engaged, but become a chain or a dormant user and they resurrect, right? So in between, Having an iPhone 10 and having an iPhone 13, I didn't get, here's how to use your new iPhone emails. Instead, I got more emails about buying a new iPhone, right? So they personalized it and they knew in between, right? I was not an iPhone user, so it, it doesn't make sense to say, hey, this is how you get the best out of your iPhone. They talk about how easy it is to upgrade, right? And I'm sure if I was um, not a previous iPhone user, they would have given me an email that said, you know, it's easy to migrate, you know, to a new iPhone or something like that. So they would have personalized the journey, making sure that onboarding of value perception and value experience is very seamless, very low friction. And this is where cross-functional teams really come together, right? So they bring finance and legal and they bring, you know, higher purchase installment plans. They, they give discounts. They make sure that trade-ins are baked. In, in trading in your, you know, towards a new device with Apple trade-in and make sure that it's all seamless highlighted so that the, you know, a higher percentage of customers are aware yeah. of this and make sure that, you know, it's easier to buy this very expensive product. And then that comes to chapter three. So at this point, you talk about the CMO and it can be any leadership. It can be the, the chief product officer. It can be the CMO who are in charge of strategy. How can we help the company improve um, improve product market fit because it's a very slippery thing. Product market fit changes with the, with the competitors, changes with customer needs, it changes with the new features, it changes with uh, the environment, the, the marketing you do. It's a very slippery thing or to help you find product market fit bit further. And so Peter Drucker, also one of the godfathers of, of strategy, said that the aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well that the product or service fits him and sells itself. And that's easier said than done. And, you know, if you talk about product market fit as a definition, you know, if Mark Andreessen says very succinctly that being in a good market with a product that can satisfy that market, that's great. Now let's make it more actionable by breaking it down. You know, being in a good market, that's about developing access to the target customer segment, which is about having efficient channels to acquire the customer as well as this display value so that they can perceive value. And a good market talks about the size and the revenue potential of that segment. And that's complicated because you have different products and different revenue streams and different price points. 
and different costs of acquisition and different competitors pursuing them as well. And then with your product, have you matched your initial feature set, your MVP feature set or your go-to-market feature set? Have you matched it to the ideal launch customer segment? And are you marketing it correctly? Are you messaging it correctly? Are you on the right channel to acquire them? Is it a cost-effective channel? And do they have a predictable buying or usage behavior? And how well can you understand it so you can continue to improve and be competitive to solve that need for a customer against your competitors? And so this comes full circle, right? So from your, your mission and your vision and your company strategy as, as being your company objectives, you have to combine the tools of product and marketing and you have to be the voice within the company say, we need to close the loop with data. We need to be data-driven and that will allow us to improve our implementation. Of course, the metrics that we have at a goal level, but making sure that we're using all the advantages that we have within the company, all the capabilities and all the resources within the company to improve the metrics at a goal level. And if you can understand segment lifetime value and their propensity to buy or churn, you can optimize the roadmap and that is a tremendous business advantage in speed. And this is a little bit about positioning. We've covered it. And just to speed this up, we'll talk about marketing not as averages and how real-time data is really a guide. And we go through clients, you know, we go through workshops and we go through um, experimentation to explore, you know, the balance of brand marketing and product marketing that's required to achieve a certain stage in the funnel. And we have a customer experience team, or a, a, you know, that helps us identify frictions from a design perspective, as well as a strategy perspective. And we work very hard to get to retention. So we talk about um, certain, you know, challenges here and, you know, sign up and make sure you get our key takeaways from our newsletter. And here also, this also goes in, in our newsletter. So you don't have to, to write this down, but, you know, there, there are different um, typical scenarios and then we'll figure out if retention is poor, what is marketing doing? You know, are we examining dormant cohorts or do we have to find a new target market? Are we using drip marketing? to push through the noise, if it's product, you know, you know, let's analyze how customer attention can really increase revenue at scale because it's existing by just a 5% increase in customer attention can increase revenue by 25 to 95% because it's a scaled effect. It's a flywheel compounding interest effect. And that's fantastic, right? And I, in terms of profitability, you know, is it an issue of that average, you know, revenue by user over a CAC ratio? Are we looking at payback periods? And, you know, we, we have, um, we, we have, you know, strategy around payback periods and what metrics and what North Star metric to use. And with product, we can also help you adapt, you know, product market fit, but then is the progress slow, right? So that's a challenge, right? You know, with the digital operating model, do you have one? Are you good, better, best? Are you using a shared North Star metric? We have a great North Star metric workshop. And, you know, are we really understanding what is a leading indicator? Thank you, David, for sharing these wonderful insights. And thank you, folks, for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now, it's your turn to take action. Implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights. And don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss a single episode of VWO Podcast. That's a wrap from our side. Until next time, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.